1: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and my dog friend, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Woof, woof. (laughs) This is the third in our series of All or Nothing watch Along specials, and what we're going to do here is walk through uh, episode three of Amazon's All or Nothing series about Tottenham Hotspur. We suggest um, that if you want to watch the episode... Watch that before you listen to this, because we are going to spoil all of that right now. If you've no intention of watching it, then it's fine. You can just allow us to talk you through it. And either way, hopefully this will be a useful piece of additional commentary to supplement your watching of the series. So um, straight away, uh, we'll get into the episode. Uh, This one is called No More Mr. Nice Guy. The blurb says, Tottenham Hotspur have suffered their first loss under Jose Mourinho against his former club, Manchester United. The team aims to get back to winning ways in order to climb the Premier League table and finish in the Champions League places, while the club seeks to resolve the futures of several members of the squad. It's kind of unclear in terms of the time period that this is set from, but I think it might be from the day before the Manchester United game, because... The players at the very beginning are climbing onto the plane and talking about an incident in the car, which we'll um, come to in a second, and it finishes on the 22nd of December, so I think it's set between the 4th of December and the 22nd, so approximately an 18-day period. Um, The first episode was a six-month period, the second was a week, so this is slightly longer than the second, but obviously a lot shorter than the first. Um... And this is a different episode I would say they they' focus on some some different things um so diving straight into the scene by scene, the pre intro scene, as I alluded to there, is the players getting onto the plane, and Kyle Walker Peters is unhappy because Delhi has crashed into his car um. So there we are in in episode two of um, our podcast, talking about how Delhi has an amazing appreciation of space and interpretation of space. Obviously, <laughs> not when he gets behind the wheel uh, because he's hit Walker Peters' car and he's trying to blame kyle walk peters and harry winks for having their lights on i mean if it's dark it seems sensible that they've got my lights on um sesion is cackling to himself in the background and desperately trying not to take sides despite um both delhi and winks asking him to it's very amusing um that is like a, a, a pre-intro scene um of fun i i don't know any other reason why it, it fits in there buddy what did you make of that little scene I mean, it's proper car crash television, isn't it? <laughs>
0: hey, hey. Uh, I thought it was quite nice. It, once again, the human side, it shows the... Um I mean, I mean, I don't. Know. First of all, how can you crash your car? Delhi's not driving around in like a battered Fiat Cinquecento with no parking sensors or reverse cameras or anything else like that. So it's quite amazing how he's managed to do that. And um, I can understand why a Car Walker Peters is annoyed because it doesn't matter how much money you're making if someone smacks into your car, you're going to be annoyed.
1: It's admin, right? Car crashes are really. Irri- I mean, even if everyone's safe and it's fine, they're really mm. annoying because it's admin it's hassle to sort no, out no
2: you have your personal assistant deal with it you have your club liaison officer mm. deal with it for you I don't think he's that pissed off I think he's less pissed off than someone who's not a millionaire would be <laughs> 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 I mean Aldi yeah. Aldi
0: yeah. would just give him another car I'm pretty sure yeah. they They all seem to be driving Aldis in this <laughs> <laughs>
2: I I do I do side with Delhi a little bit with, with with I've got to disagree with if you're sat there in your car and you've got your like full beam on or whatever you're you know you're you're making things difficult to see I I do feel for him a little bit
1: there I I would need to see the footage of the <laughs> to to be able to make a clear decision on who was right or wrong in this I'll do a uh, green my, screen my, uh... my instinct <laughs> as you might have guessed is very much to defend Kyle Walker Peters that's my <laughs> yeah, instinct in life more generally <laughs> fair play. Um, So we start the episode proper With Mourinho arriving at the training ground The morning after the defeat To Man United So they've not showed any footage from this game uh, Up until this point It's quite interesting It starts pre-United Sorry, ends pre-United in the previous episode Starts Mm. post-United here And um, then we see clips of the the 2-1 defeat and we see post-match, uh, there's a meeting going on in the tactics room where Mourinho says, we have very bad feelings in relation to the game yesterday. And he once again talks up this idea of the players being good guys. And he says, you were hiding, the attitude was not good enough. And what's really fascinating about this clip is that Kane then chips in. So, I mean, we, we've heard before talk of, of Kane being a bit of a teacher's pet. Uh, he jumps in and wants to back up Mourinho's points and he said that it's been happening all season that, that some players are, are waiting for others to do things for them and he said it's unacceptable. Uh, Mourinho goes on to say that we need to win 50-50s, we need to win duels, second balls, you need to be a bastard. What do you think Nathan?
2: I'm really, I'm really frustrated by this bit because Kane is saying something really interesting but because of the editing you don't know if he's talking about on the ball off yep. the ball mm. you don't know if he's you know and i i really because i'm still desperate to get an idea of what went wrong at the beginning of last season and and, and i thought there might have been some insight there but again because it's chopping back and forth it gives mm-hmm. you the impression that he's just saying it in response to what Mourinho was saying but there's just no way of knowing um and again, like I talked about in the previous episode, it's so results focused because I thought we played well against United. I thought we had a good performance, a we good did, game. Yeah. We were unlucky. Um, but the narrative is we were too nice. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I found that odd, the, the, the questioning of the attitude. And I agree, we played well in that game. Um, but it, it is interesting that, that Kane agrees with Mourinho's assessment, in, in some, certainly in some respects, that he kind of felt that players were hiding too and not taking responsibility. It seemed like Kane was saying something about shirking responsibility, not fulfilling all of their duties. That was the, that was the implication I took from it. And um, Kane was so polite with the way he kind of butted in, and then just checked whether it was okay for him to, to join in. Mourinho was like, yes, please go ahead. It's even better for me if you say my points for me, kind of yeah. thing. It's, uh, <laughs> he was only too happy for Kane to join in. Uh, then we see uh, a clip of Hyunmin Son, saying that they need to be bad guys to win. So clearly he's believing everything he's been told so far from Mourinho. And Mourinho's talking then about wanting to transform the mentality of the players. He talks, uh, interestingly, about emotional balance. Um, He said we need a solid team, solid mentality, united group. So it's all, again, about mentality. And again, I think we all disagree that there was a problem with the mentality per se, um, in some respects. Nathan?
2: I think it's fair to say there was a mentality problem that season something had obviously gone wrong and fallen apart and, and the mentality had changed that season but there's, there's a nuance there in that like we were obviously a strong uh confident aggressive bunch you know six months prior um and then things went mentally wrong and i just feel like there's there's just a slight misplacement of the focus both from like mm. the players of Mourinho specifically, but also even more so from, from the show that's saying that like we're a historically weak, nice team, and that's just not true, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, you put it far better than I could, buddy.
0: I mean, he does like to throw the mentality and the softness in there, but I do think there is an issue with the United group because even if you just look around when they do the big team shots, you see Danny Rose, who there is definitely being ostracised. You've got Wanyama there who, who never kicks a football. Uh, you've got ericsson and the other guys who they've mentioned in episode one about whose contracts are expiring Mm, so i think mm. there is definitely a thing there around the group not being united and i think that is a a challenge to to get them all working together personally i would like to have seen a little bit more from the from the man united defeats especially um any half-time talks or something like that i thought they did kind of kind of skip it especially Mm. when if you give the magnitude of. At the time, Sky were building this up as Mourinho comes home. I thought they, will, I thought we would have spent a little bit more time at Old Trafford there than we did. Well, we didn't spend any time there. We they showed the goals and then went show back to Spurs.
1: Yeah, it really zipped through it. I, I guess mm. it. There was either nothing of particular interest to the narrative of the show, or or maybe it was just really dull. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um. The narrator, Tom Hardy, then says that we need to win the three games before Christmas. Uh, The team are then out on the pitch, and they're they're doing a training session that Mourinho is absolutely adamant that he created himself, (laughs) and that if they've ever done this before, it's essentially been plagiarised by their coaches. Um, Nathan, what did you think of that? My,
2: My understanding from having spoken to quite a few coaches is that that's completely fair and reasonable for him to claim copyright over, that a lot of people for a long time have solved a lot of Mourinho's training session work, so ah. so he's justified, apparently. There.
1: That's interesting. So this is a, a particularly competitive training exercise, which it said is designed to create unity. And Mourinho is refereeing it and having so much fun doing so. It's <laughs> actually really, really fun to watch. This. Uh, the players are screaming their heads off. They're loving it. Um, the, the winners are sort of bundling the losers. It's yeah, it's, it's really good to watch. Buddy, what did you make? What did you make of that?
0: Yeah, I think I meant to ask you this, perhaps um, in episode two. But there seems to be a lot of youth players involved in the training. Is that something Mourinho has done, or or Pochettino is doing the same? Because Troy Parrott, who, I mean, he's looked big in uh, in any clips of Millwall I've seen, but Troy Parrott stands alongside
1: them as a boy, but he looks like a man. So is it is it quite common for that many youth players to take part with the first team? I think so. I think I think that's um, not uncommon. Most managers will pick a few youth players who will step up to sort of make up the numbers in first team training there's lots of shots of Alfie Whiteman and and Brandon Austin throughout this documentary both of whom have been with the first team squad for some time but have have only made the bench um until this point so they're, they're not well known players but White, Whiteman appears pretty frequently in um all the team meeting sections um so yeah absolutely I think the youth players are probably there to largely make up the numbers Nathan what did you make of the training session
2: it was it was really sweet to see sort of the, the camaraderie, uh yeah. people laughing and, and hugging and joking. There is a bit where like the pink team win and they're all celebrating and then Mourinho like runs over to join in the celebrations and gets yeah. the hard blank and then he has to do like an awkward shuffle away. <laughs> but whatever, that's you know, that's 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 harsh of me to to focus in on. It was it was a really positive sequence and obviously what the club the players desperately needed at the time was some some positivity.
1: Absolutely. I, I think his judgment there was absolutely spot on in terms of giving them that session after a defeat and sort of making them buoyant and bringing them together again. Um, you can definitely see there's a sort of sense of camaraderie in the group there. Uh, and Mourinho's just absolutely loving it. He's he's like probably thinking, I'm a genius. Look what I've done. I've, <laughs> I, I've brought them back to 10 out of 10 passion in a matter of hours. With the session that I developed myself... Um, so he is loving life as well. Uh, then we see Jason Burt from The Telegraph again. I, I, <laughs> I, he is so prevalent in this episode, but the the documentary more generally. I don't know why that is the case, but fine. Um, I've got nothing against Jason Burt. He he's talks very sensibly. Uh, this time he's talking about a new manager bounce and the scale of the task at hand for Mourinho. And then we zoom back into the canteen and the players seem to be pulling crackers together, Christmas crackers. And the voiceover um, talks about the contract situations, particularly of Ericsson. Um, Ericsson um, tells a terrible cracker joke about dogs and says, looks at Kane and probably Vertonghen and says, come on, dog friends, which I really, really thought was funny. I I really like Ericsson in this moment. Barney, what did you make of that scene? As someone who's grown
0: up with a, a non-native speaker and someone who married someone whose first language is in English, Christmas cracker jokes are always complicated <laughs> around, <laughs> around people who, when English isn't their first language, like why can't you teach a, the joke was why can't you teach a dog to dance because they have two left feet
1: and you just saw it just didn't it just didn't it land didn't land Pelicans no the Tongan's face he went two left feet and, he like, <laughs> I, and then I think he kind of cottoned on uh, yeah because. Dogs have four feet, so. Cool. But he, it took him a minute. It was funny, Nathan. It's, what did you
2: make of it? It's it's such like a harsh clip for Jackson because he's obviously like a cold and closed off person, and we, he doesn't get much screen time. Um, and then he gets this bit where like he's he's playing the role of performing out to the bad joke. He's not yeah. being a bad yeah, yeah. joke teller. He's like, he's doing what you're meant to do. And I just think it's so harsh on him to like, that. that's his screen time. I,
1: I disagree. I thought he came off really well in this section. Yeah? I, I, I okay. found him really funny and dry to watch. Like he's, the way he told the joke was funny. And then the come on dog friends really <laughs> yeah. made me laugh. I, I really, like, I enjoyed Erickson a lot in this, in this moment. Okay. It was, it was good. It was good. It was good Erickson content for me. Um, that as well as the sort of frowning meme have been, have been two of my favorite moments of the documentary so far to be fair. Uh, we then see this sort of montage of Eriksson's assists and goals with narration about his influence and, uh, the fact that he wants to leave. Um, and Jason Burt is, is back once again to say that, uh, his motivation will be impacted by his contract situation and, and, you know, his impending transfer. We, th- we feel at this point, um, then you see Mourinho and Levy having another conversation. So yet again, we're seeing them talk football matters, which is interesting. Mourinho is telling Levy that Ericsson moves the ball better. I think he, I think he's implying that he moves the ball better than anyone else on the team. Mm. But that he's missing the, I think he says the extra push, the real push. And he says the extra desire. Uh, and Levy says the problem we have with Christian is that none of us know what the real truth is. His agent controls everything, and there's no dialogue between the club and his agent at all. So this is really, this is new. This is really interesting. Um, Ericsson obviously just allow, he's, he's employed his agent for a reason, and he will allow his agent to manage his business affairs, which is completely his prerogative, and many footballers will do this. But it does create this kind of awkward tension for him around um, his relationship with the manager and with the club. Um which I don't think he's managing too badly, in fairness. Like, he seems to still be getting on really well with everyone, and he seems like a complete professional. It's just that there's a feeling that his intensity and motivation has has dried up somewhat. Nathan, what do you make of that whole section? I definitely... I think
2: this bit is slightly telling about the Ericsson situation in that Mourinho and Levy are both trying to, like, push the case on one another. So, So Levy is saying, like, as the manager, could you please persuade the player to stay? And Mourinho is saying, as the chairman, can you please tell me which players I will have in a month's time? And they're both, they're both saying, no, you you deal with it, you you because I've tried. So now it's your turn.
1: Yeah, that's that's a, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way at all. Um, Ericsson then goes on to speak about the rumors himself, and uh, he he mentions that he's spoken about as an object, which uh, is quite insightful, I think. And he says that um, football is one of the only things where people write about football with no consequences. So they can write whatever they like and there's no consequences. What do you think of that, Nathan?
2: I really, really liked this bit because this is essentially the only sort of human bit of Ericsson we're really seeing. Like, again, he's a super closed off person, more than anyone else, like, like more than Levy, more than even Pochettino and everything else. He's like, he's the ice man. And there's lots of like screen time, not in this documentary, but but generally lots of interviews with Ericsson where he just is, it's one word answers Mm. and it's, and it's, it's completely vacant. And finally, after he's already left the club, we're getting to see just a little bit of sort of, you know footballers have seen his objects and he's, he's completely right I was just unlike with the Pochino bit I'm like oh god I can't wait for I hope this is over this is making me sad it was actually it was really sweet to see some of these moments from Eriksen who's a player I have just so much an immense immense fondness for um it's nice to sort of know him a little bit more as a human
1: yeah and there's no sort of bitterness there towards the club at all He he comes across and I think we'll, we'll probably talk about this more into more detail later because there's specific sections about it. But he comes across as just he's just moving on with his life, and that is fu- it. Doesn't seem like there's any problem on either side. It's just that he's ready to to have a change, and that's that's fine. And he handles himself really well, I think. And Bardi, what did you make of the Ericsson section here?
0: There's also a quite a fit, fair bit of hand-washing here by Daniel Levy by saying it's the agent's fault and that they've tried. So he's also trying to cover his tracks there. I, I mean, it was very nice and very sweet to see that side of Ericsson. And once again, we're, we're finding out a little bit more about these players. And I, I think I think Ericsson is bang on with how people can write about football with no consequences. That people can write anything and... And it turns into a. We found ourselves on, on even on this podcast. We say something, and then someone writes something about what we've said, and then and then <laughs> that's that's news. Uh, like how how is that how is that news? So yeah, it, it does. I, I definitely think I'm going to start. Paying a little bit more attention to what I say when it comes to, when it when it when it comes to these players, and just be perhaps a bit more understanding. Not that I don't think Ericsson downloads the extra inch, but I think I think maybe as just a, being a better human being, we need to be a bit more um, a bit more compassionate.
1: Mm, that's a really good point. Very sensible. Uh, so the next part is pre Burnley on the seventh of December, uh, a home match. So you see a montage of fans and players arriving at the stadium. We see some footage from inside the stadium. We get the dressing room pre-game with uh, Vertonghen saying quick transitions randomly. It seems to just be sort of thrown out there. Uh, Mourinho asking Kane who's going to do this sort of pre-match team talk. And on this occasion, it ends up being Mourinho. So he's, he says yes, fight, yes, second balls, yes, pressing, yes, intensity. But your most important thing is your confidence to play. So once again, it's confidence and it's believing in themselves. Bardi, what did you make of that part? I
0: think you you skipped over a, a big important part in this dressing room is Mourinho putting stickers on a board of Burnley playing four four two. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Just laying it out. Take who who makes these stickers? Cause they had each they had the name Ben Me. Yeah. Ben Me. And he was putting them out like, no shit, we're gonna play four four two. I just like, <laughs> Wait, who's making all these stickers? And um for at the city one, you had Guardiola banging on a whiteboard and drawing circles in the half space. In this one, you have just got Mourinho putting stickers of the opposition <laughs> on on a board. I, I just thought that was—I thought it was quite nice to see, actually, but quite funny, very, very um, old-fashioned.
1: I couldn't quite work out what Mourinho was saying in the pre-match talk about the fact that they had a day off. He said something like, um, "You've got a meal tonight and a day off tomorrow. <laughs> Is that motivation enough?" Was he saying? if you win, you can go out and have a few drinks knowing you're off tomorrow? Or was he offering them a day off if they won?
0: I think it was a day off if they won. They probably had a day off booked. Maybe we saw them pulling crackers already. So maybe it was their Christmas dinner. So he was going to give Maybe. them the day off. Yeah,
1: He's incentivising them to, to go out and get the win. Yeah, because they
0: can't really do it any closer to Christmas because we've got games uh, Boxing Day. We've got games 22nd, 26th or 27th. So I guess they have their Christmas dinner early.
1: That's true. And um, by God did it work because Harry Kane scores uh, an early absolute banger. Um, Lucas then gets one at the back post. We see Son scoring the goal of the season. Um, which, of course, to me, the, the highlight of that was Walker Peters' is lovely smile from the touchline um, mm. in aberration of Son's goal. Uh, at halftime, we see Mourinho telling the players that the game is not over. He reminds them that Burnley are fighting. He says that the clean sheet should be a collective collective objective, and he's very firm on that. He's like desperate that. for them. to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, is we've seen this before from Mourinho at halftime in sort of reinforcing the importance of not letting up and actually. Mm. Fight making sure that you continue to match the intensity of the other side, but this time it was very specific with that collective objective. Um Kane scores a lovely fourth, and Sissoko makes it five. Um post-match Mourinho is being interviewed, and he says that we're more aggressive and we we pressed better. The Mourinho I'm sorry, the Sissoko fifth goal leads to the Sissoko sing song in the Changing Room post-match. We've seen before that the players do love singing the um Moussa Sissoko song and we know from uh, Sacramento's scouting mission that mm-hmm. Soko is a big influence in the dressing room fuck so uh <laughs> it's no surprise to see the players once again singing his song in the in the change room and it's nice it's really nice to see that um son naturally is getting lots of attention for his goal he does one of his fun handshakes with tanganga he has a big hug with harry kane and then uh, son is being interviewed um post-match by one of the TV channels, I presume. And Mourinho interrupts the interview and asks if he's mad of the match. Uh, and this all leads on to a section about the Korean support for, for Son. So firstly, we see a clip of the Korean commentary for Son's goal, which weirdly seemed to be in slow motion I, or, or certainly yeah. slowed down slightly. I, I couldn't work out the logic behind that. Um, but then we see uh, a shot of of a korean guy stood outside the training <laughs> ground or near to the training ground in a, a, with a son shirt waving at every car as they go past not player cars just cars. <laughs> and uh he he describes how he wants people to sort of realize how friendly korean people are because he wants to make a good impression on on son young men um and he says every korean person likes Son. he kind of explains how popular he is And then there's a section on Son's fame. I found, I don't know if you agreed, but I found that he looked almost quite sheepish and embarrassed about the whole thing. And he sort of talks about how it gives him good energy when people come to the UK to watch him play, come from Korea to the UK to watch him play. But that back home, this is just the normal thing for him. And then there's this huge group of Korean fans turning up to a training ground, mobbing him and his signing shirts and having photos with them. Um, what did you make of all of this, Nathan? Is there a particular point to, that we're to take from this, other than it's, Son just being the nicest, most modest yeah. man?
2: No, it's mainly that it's so, it's so, so sweet, and he's so humble. And mm. there's just, you know, thousands of adoring fans <laughs> traveling across the the globe um, to, you know, worship at his feet, and he's just this sweet, charming. Um, funny, happy guy. I don't know. I, I really love this bit. It's, it's so, it's so sweet.
0: That that fan on the street. I mean, that's just amazing. It's <laughs> just waving at like anybody. Just like come on. Those that, yeah, million levels were there, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, but someone needs to have a word with Son. If if I if it was my office or my place of work and someone was cutting their toenails over a bin, I'd be having I'd be having a word. Come on, man, that's disgusting. It was God. to be fair, it was his fingernails. It was his fingernails. Was it, okay, it was. Just, yeah. Well, still, it's pretty nasty, but yeah, it's not not good. Do it,
1: do it at home, Sonny. Do
0: yeah, it, it was the least. physio that hugged him. The physio should be having a word. saying, do it at home or go to a go to a nail salon or something. Get it done properly.
1: Yeah. Then we have another clip of Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho talking about football. It's like it's a constant daily occurrence. And Levy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lads having a catch-up over their breakfast. Um, And Levy is really excited about what an incredible um, goal Son scored. And he says to Mourinho, it was good to win in style, which I (laughs) thought was very telling. Nathan, how did you feel about that?
2: Yeah, this this was really, really interesting to see the the ways in which Levy is hands on, and uh, so he there's this conversation. Jose is eating. So he has got like a half excuse kind of thing. But Levy is obviously trying to get Mourinho to open up so they can have a back and forth about yeah. tactical decisions and such. And he's saying, "Yeah, it was, it was a really good game." And Mourinho says, "Yes." And he says, "Yeah, it was exciting to watch. Great, really great goal from Son. It was an incredible goal, wasn't it?" And Mourinho says, "Yes." And he says, um, "You know, really good to win in style." <laughs> Mourinho says, "Yeah." <laughs> and he's like, he's trying to get like uh, he doesn't want to be like I'm your boss. This is yeah. how you must do things. I've been... You know, he wants... He's trying to make it a casual conversation. Two blokes at the breakfast bar chatting football. But also, I am your boss and you must do things this way.
0: <laughs> I think... Sorry, and I I just forgot to mention with Son, I got distracted by his, his nail habits. I think um, we it's also a little reminder that we have this kind of it's not perhaps not global, but this national superstar. And I think it was probably we're gonna see a lot of sun as well because this is probably gonna be marketed out to the Korean uh, to the Korean public as well. So I think I think that's why Sun is getting a lot of airtime. But we, we do think of Kane and Delhi As being like our stars, but we do have, we we have this icon in our team as well. So I think it's, I think it's nice to get just that reminder of just how big Sun is. And maybe in terms of scale and everything else, Sun is perhaps our our biggest box office player.
1: He's so marketable as well. I mean, Mm. not only is he really handsome, but he's just utterly lovable. I mean, there's not a bad bone in the man's body. He's really smiley. He's really professional. He's really dedicated. He scores <laughs> goals. He gets assists. Yeah. He's just perfect. He's the perfect. There's a bad bone player. in
0: um, Andre Gomez's, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna get into um,
1: uh, Rüdiger's
0: chest bone as well. So yeah,
1: yeah, good point. I mean, he's definitely there. Is a there is a trigger there, isn't there? There's a trigger yeah, there. A little. For some. Yeah, I was wrong to say there's not a single bad bone there. There is (laughs) definitely a bad bone in his body. Um, So it's not clear whether it's the same um, Mourinho and Levy meeting, chit-chat, whatever, but the way it's shot makes it seem like it is. Anyway, Ericsson comes over to shake hands with them both, which, again, I think talks to to Ericsson's professionalism and the fact that he is still even despite this huge potential contract dispute where his agents not communicating with the club he is behaving impeccably he goes and says good morning to both his boss the coach Mourinho and his mega boss Daniel Levy he shakes hands it's just a ni- it's a nice um, nice moment there and it just shows that despite everything going on he behaves well and isn't be, isn't being disruptive um he he talks about how tottenham's been his home he's loved it and he wants to try something new and it's done in a way that makes you feel absolutely no malice for ericsson or sort of resentment of him leaving it's it's all just very calmly played i think uh this is where the bit that Eric, um nathan referred to earlier happens where levy says you know, you think there's definitely no way to turn him. And Mourinho begrudgingly says, I can try once more um, to try and convince Erickson to stay, Nathan.
2: Yeah, again, it, it's, that, it's that style of micromanagement where he's not saying, Jose, I need you to do this. Huh. This is an instruction I'm giving you. He's trying to make it this sort of casual chit-chat. It's like, oh yeah, wouldn't it, like with a wink and a nudge, oh, wouldn't it be good if someone... Well, you know just casually just a couple of lads having a chat about football wouldn't it be good if someone maybe could have a word in Ericsson's ear could you oh maybe maybe that could be you jose maybe you could be someone who could do that oh are you volunteering Are you volunteering to do that oh that's good of you that's nice of you to put yourself forward to do that uh,
1: do you know what maybe he should take the jose um marino approach to sort of psychological warfare here here and just say to him speak to Ericsson, convince him, speak to Ericsson, convince him, speak to Ericsson, convince him, (laughs) convince Ericsson to stay, make him stay, make him stay, make him stay. That would probably work. Repetition seems to work. Be confident in making him stay.
0: But what I don't get is I could try once more and his trying once more is chucking him on with seven minutes to go to work <laughs> away. <laughs> that's, that's not trying. Uh, yeah, it, but it is all very like, do you think there's a way, there's no way to turn him? It is all very kind of Star Wars of the Emperor. Yeah, it words. is, isn't it? So it yeah, very turn much turn it, I'll try once more.
1: But like, but like Nathan says, not presented that way by Levy at all. There's no sort no. of... Um, Levy doesn't come across as... Overtly Machiavellian here, even though he he probably is being that way. So then we have a section about the Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen centre back pairing. Uh, I think it's mainly Vertonghen doing the talking in this part, and he speaks about how they've been friends from when uh, one was sixteen, the other was seventeen. They know one another's families. And I think it's for Tongan that says, I've played more games with him than without him, um, which is actually quite remarkable across mm. a, a long career like both of theirs have been. And they just seem to get on really well as as friends, as people. Um, but also, we know they play brilliantly together because we've, we've seen it for many years. Nathan, was there any surprises here for you?
2: I So this is something that, that's been talked about amongst fans and in the press a bit before as well. Um, and I've always been a little... Dubious about how real it is, mm. uh, but it was very much confirmed here that it's, it, it's, it's real. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's real, super super real, and it's really sweet. It's really nice. I like this a lot, um and yeah, it's clearly been instructional in both these players being at this club for, in both mm. directions. You know, Toby joining in the first place, Votongan sticking around, all that kind of stuff. It's really nice that, you know, this is a hell of a pair of centre-backs, mm. um, you know, two of the very best in the world. And they happen to be mates at our club together. It's, it's really, it's great.
1: Well, the other thing that's really interesting about the pair of them is that they just seem to sort of, um, what's the word? They seem to appreciate Longevity, longevity and the, the right feeling of belonging more than, than finances. I mean, Alderweirel was underpaid for so many years at Spurs. I mean, he, all that time he was on a, in a sort of contract dispute with us. I think he was getting paid 40K, something crazy like that. When he was worth, his market value would have been, God, four times that maybe? Yeah. If he'd gone to Man City, five times that potentially. Um, but he was just in the right place for him.
2: I think it's really interesting that in in modern football partnerships have kind of died you don't get your striker partnerships you don't get your um your full back winger partnerships maybe you still get your central midfield partnerships a fair bit but it's really the center back partnership is the only really lasting one um, and and it's interesting to see the sort of the personal relationship side of that that you would you would be able to develop this sort of this telepathy built on your friendship with your Senate back partner. I really like it's sort of you know um, crime solving <laughs> ninja turtles you know all that kind of nonsense. Uh, it's, it's very it's very
1: cute. Jan's definitely Michelangelo. <laughs> I also like um,
0: the way Vatongen. I mean, you've, you've got um, if you if you look at the Ajax, the the, the trio from Ajax, Eriksson, Vatongen, and, and Aldevero. It's I mean, it's quite clear to to all of us that Vatongen is the one approaching the the end of his career compared to the other two. And I just like the way Vatongen says he's still got loads to offer, and he's not going to go somewhere just to see out his days. And I think that's kind of been reflected in where he's ended up at, at Benfica. That he still feels that he can play at a Champions League level, mm. and it doesn't work for us but you know he's come out of this with a lot of credit and um, mm-hmm. the same with Ericsson and they've both shown themselves all three of them shown themselves to be very articulate very calm very um, reasonable men and if you flash back to like the Sherwood days we there was the rumour going around that the Tonga wasn't quite like that but um, it's kind of been shown to be the that was the wrong interpretation to make and once again highlights the danger of uh, of takes from like five second clips off, off TV
2: Tim Sherwood also said uh, he's a rubbish defender who can't sort his feet out. So, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So our friend Jason Burt is back, uh, once again, giving his opinion about how the club might manage that situation.
2: He doesn't Um, even cover Spurs that much anymore. He used to uh, be like an on-the-beat reporter, and now it's weird. hmm. It's weird. it's,
1: It's very odd. I mean, he must have had a contact in the production team or something. I don't know. Or someone said, you should speak to Jason Burt. He's really good. I don't know. He's got a nice beard, though. Um. Tongen talks about how him and Toby have been talking literally every day about their future for some time. So it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, we see Jan doing quite an intense workout on the bike. And then um, you get this sort of very bizarre section where Mourinho is talking with his staff about fashion. And he kind of pulls up his trousers so awkwardly high to show how um, one of the coaching staff, Ricky, used to wear his trousers as a teenager and when he does that, it creates a really unpleasant bulge in his trousers, which I did not enjoy seeing at all. I really did not need to see that at all. I thought yeah.
0: that bit was think, funny. Yeah, I did. I, I, the conversation started off; they were talking about socks. Somebody wears some strange socks. socks. Yeah, and it it did. Yeah, I didn't need to see that bulge. Mourinho's Mourinho's body, as he gets older, seems to be <laughs> getting like weird bulges mm-hmm. in different places. But yeah, I, I didn't need to see that one.
1: I mean it, it, they obviously get on really well they've known each other for an awful long time hmm. um which is which is nice that they're continuing to work together I I it's a kind of a bit like Potch with some of his coaching staff in a way there's this sort of friendship that's um developed over the years and and now they trust one another so much that they'll continue working together for a while um Nathan what did you think of it is is Ricky
2: the one who's now been replaced by Ludley King so he was I believe the, the so. previous analyst okay that's interesting
1: <laughs>
0: obviously not that good of friends just bin
1: him off well, maybe maybe we'll find out more about the narrative. Maybe this was the Ooh. moment the, the the beginning of the end of their friendship. He's like, "How dare you say that I wear my trousers that high? I would <laughs> never do such a thing." Mourinho is demanding, pull the photo out, show them, look at, what it, show show them how you used to wear your trousers. It was so weird, so odd. Uh, so then we go to pre-match Wolves, and we're we're told how many points um they were behind and how they're catching Chelsea now. Mourinho puts a huge emphasis on the Wolves and the Chelsea matches. Pre-game, we see lots of crowd shots from Wolves, followed by some footage of the match, um, interspersed with Mourinho describing how Wolves play. So this was this was presented in a slightly different way to some of the previous game. You've got Mourinho talking mixed in with um, footage from the game. He's talking, interestingly, about Doherty being aggressive, which now obviously takes on a whole new... Um, meaning, now that we've signed Dotti, so that was that was nice to see. He talks about Adama Traore. Um, he talks about Johnny Castro, their their left wing back also being aggressive. So Traore scores an equaliser. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount to say about the section that uh, Mourinho says this is a game that demands a lot, demands that aggression, demands the attitude, demands the ambition. We have to win. It's one all in 86 minutes. Wolves have a free kick and Gazaniga makes a save. Spurs survive, and then Eriksson is sent on for Lucas. Now, I don't remember this being sort of a huge Eriksson narrative at the time, but it's certainly given that effect here, where Eriksson is sent on to rescue the game. He takes a corner, and Vertonghen plants a header in. What did you make of that, Barney?
0: There was a bit of narrative, because it was like, look, Pochettino had been making him take near-post corners all his life, and then... Yes, and Mourinho right. comes along and he loves he lobs onto the back post and we score. So that that was the main narrative that, from that Ericsson appearance.
1: You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, then there's this shot from inside Vitongan's car, uh, which is different. We've not seen anything sort of out on the streets uh, yeah. at this point. Um, he's talking about the conditions of the game how it was raining uh, he talks about his header and he's he's quite humble here he just says i closed my eyes and he's he said that he was having a hard time in the match and it's good that he scored because people now just remember the goal so again very humble but kind of the implication being that he's not at the peak of his powers anymore um Nathan what did you think of that
2: this this again him there he's he's speaking to once again i'll point out the incredibly results driven narrative going on here because Mm. once again i thought the wolves game was was a really poor performance and and i and i got again a hell of a lot of pushback on on my perception of that wolves game uh but nonetheless (laughs) i can't help but
0: observe that sure there's also games in um every every kind of professional's career where they Realise perhaps it's, they're not quite at it anymore at the top level. Neville talks about that West Brom game, I think, where he got absolutely destroyed, and perhaps this was um, this was Vertonghen's kind of point there, where he realised he's definitely never going to play be able to play left back at a high level anymore because Triore gave him an absolute torrid time, and maybe that was that was kind maybe that sealed his fate. Even though he did score the winner, that sealed his kind of time at Tottenham, which is yeah, maybe that was it.
1: Yeah. So the reason he was in his car is because he's off to deliver or help deliver supplies to the North Enfield food bank. And he said that he's been going there for five or six years and he's um, built up some connections over those years. He seems to get on really well with, with the staff there. They all value him turning up and helping out. And there's one guy that's clearly a big Spurs fan. And he's like thanking Vertonghen for the header against Wolves, which is nice. And I, I guess that's um. That must be really common for these players when they do anything in the local community that they get met with with fans of the club who kind of appreciate their contribution. So nice scene. Again, it felt a little little kind of PR heavy, but I'm happy enough to see it. It's, it's all good. Um, and then we have the narrator once again talking about the contract extension uh, or situation rather. Jan talks about his age and wanting security in life. He's talking about how he's a, he likes to plan ahead. And he mentions that his daughter loves school and he's not going to tell her at this point whether there's a possibility of moving because he wouldn't want to cause her any upset. And then we find out that Toby Alderweireld has signed his contract. Uh, he's got his wife and or partner and his child in to to come in and sign the contract. Uh, I don't think there were, I don't think Mourinho was there, I don't think Levy was there, but there were some club representatives there for the signing. And he has a, like a photo shoot as well, and he says, "Do I see myself playing for another club? Not really." He looks genuinely, absolutely thrilled to be signing the contract. And then there's like a family photo in front of the Christmas tree, and it's all very nice and wholesome. And like Fatongan, Aldevaro comes across really well, if just a little bit more reserved and, and shy, perhaps. Um, he he kind of he's kind of just enjoying family time, but it's nice that his family are also embedded within the club, I, I guess. Um, then we have Son joking with, with Alderweireld that he's always late. I presume th- there's a joke then um, where Jan says the money's in the pocket. I presume the whole point of that is that he's going to get fined for being late for the training session. Is that right? No, no, no. no, no. What point? he's
2: saying is that he's got his contract he's got five years he's got 20 million in the bank yes now he can behave exactly as he pleases and it's irrelevant Uh, it's a a
1: good yeah yeah yeah. you're you're totally right you're totally right i miss i completely misinterpreted i assumed what they were saying was you're late for trading and you've bought your money to pay your fine Um, yeah that's what
0: i thought as well because i think they they give the money to charity don't they
1: yes that's right but nathan's spot on there nathan's absolutely spot on. Um, no but
0: that's Nathan being really cynical maybe
1: (laughs) 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 of Vertonghen being cynical perhaps yeah Uh, so Mourinho uh, is then asked a question by Dan Kilpatrick nice to see Dan Kilpatrick get a a, a moment in the sun Uh, it's been quite
0: nice to see all the beat journalists get their faces on TV Alistair Gold as well they've all, all put their faces
1: there Yeah, that's been cool. That's been really cool. So um, Dan asks Mourinho about Vertonghen's contract situation and Mourinho explains that everyone has to want it. The club, the player, the family, the agent. And if one element of that doesn't want to sign a contract, then it won't happen. Um, Then we have Vertonghen once again talking about leaving. He says, I don't want to think about it. Spurs is in my heart and the players are in my heart. So you kind of once again getting this impression of his long-term commitment to Spurs over his peak years. Then we have um, pre-Chelsea. And the, the, the narration says that it's Mourinho's biggest test yet. And you have Mourinho talking to Son um, about the, the pressing that they'll try and implement on the training pitch. And I, I think what they were going through there was pressing triggers. It wasn't completely clear because we saw a, mm. once again a snippet of um, of that section. And then we see Son doing some shooting practice. Um, so straight away, your mind's going... I mean, if you didn't know the outcome of the game, your mind's going, OK, Son's going to be a big player mm-hmm. in this game. Is he going to score the winning goal? Narrative voice, no, he's not. Um, <laughs> Ericsson asks Mourinho if Lampard is a good guy as they're watching it, Lampard's, um on Sky Sports News. And Mourinho says that he's the best professional... He was the best professional footballer he's ever seen, which I don't think is a huge surprise to anyone who knows anything about Lampard because he was always viewed as an absolute model pro and a, a, he's seen generally as a really good guy, Lampard. Um, Mourinho's asked about the narrative of him against his old club and he kind of makes his big play of saying, no, I'm 100% Tottenham, there is no me against them, it's it's just another match kind of thing. And then he's asked specifically whether he'll go out for a drink with Lampard um, after the game and he says there'll be a big hug before and a big hug after and says you know I'll always be grateful for him for what he did for me when I was at Chelsea I will always love the guy but I hope he loses Sunday uh, then there's like this section where there's a bunch of fans talking about Mourinho and some are kind of implying that they didn't like him at first because of his Chelsea connections or the, the way he was perceived but they're slowly warming to him um, what do you think of that Bardi?
0: I quite liked it. It was a nice cross section of fans. Sometimes when you when you end up doing sound bites outside the stadium or on the way to the stadium, you get the same people that all look the same. So it was nice to nice to get kind of a, a range of answers from a different kind of a bit of bit of diversity. You know, I, I like that. I also thought the the comments of Frank Lampard could be could be taken two ways. It was Ericsson that was asking, and it was Mourinho saying the best professional, super focused, always giving 100%. And that could also be a kind of a nod to Delhi as well. That this is this is the kind of professional that you need to emulate—the way he trains and the way he prepares.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that at all, but it's absolutely, absolutely possible. I and mean, it's quite a public forum for him to sort of big mm. up Lampard. There, uh, we see the changing room pre-match, and Mourinho once again talks about having big balls. <laughs> I mean, Jose, it's it's 2020, mate. We don't need to constantly go on about players having. Needing to have big balls. If you've, 40, big balls whatever.
0: if you've got big balls, please go and see your GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. consult medical advice.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Kane um, with, a, with an absolute classic Harry Kane line, <laughs> which is, it's a fucking London derby, so let's fucking win this game. And Nathan is so pumped from that yeah, that he yeah. will run through walls.
2: Uh, like every, every time, every time, I'm, I'm out of my seat, I'm ready to go to war.
1: Let's I mean, get, to, be, um, to be fair, that did get me going a little bit. There you go. We need to get some extra-inch
0: T-shirts with Harry Kane quotes on it. It's a fucking London derby that's <laughs> fucking win this
1: game. Hashtag passion.
0: It was, they got to print some cards at Spurs like with inspirational quotes of Harry Kane, just effing
1: <laughs> loads of stars. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we get footage of the game, Ann scoring... The absolute horror show of, of Gazaniga. Oh, God. Every time I see that incident, it looks so much worse than I initially remembered it being. I remember at the time not realizing quite how bad it was, and then, oh, nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Uh, Ann scores a penalty. It's 2 0 at half time, and Deli is absolutely livid, like throwing <laughs> a bottle of water onto the floor as he walks into the, um, changing room. Uh, to which Mourinho says quickly, I mean, it's, I don't know how how soon Mourinho walked into the changing room but it seems as though very quickly he says you cope with the fucking pressure that's the first thing you need to do is you need to be mentally able to cope with the pressure and he tells tells them to face up to the fact that they're 2-0 down and he says you believe you're not going to lose you even believe you can win let's press them high now and he makes the change which is Ericsson coming on at half time and what do we think of this um sort of half time section
2: um I sort of basically I think that the out the issue with our performance of this game was almost entirely tactical was that we we set up completely the wrong way that uh, uh, lampard was completely prepared to deal with our mm-hmm. long ball strategy um and instead the the blame is placed on on mentality once again, and I guess there's an extent to which. Like you can't, as the manager, like sheepishly at halftime, be like, "Oh, sorry, guys, got that one wrong." It's all right though. No, I know how we're gonna do I, the I second. one. can, I think half. you can. I think you can. You think you can? Yeah. How, do you do you get the do you get the respect from your players? Do they not then go? But what if this is also even worse than than your first idea? I don't know. I, I, but I,
1: I, I think you sell it. I think you sell it like, okay, they've done something we weren't expecting here, so here's what we're going to do. And you just go back, you just try something okay. new and, and, and do it that way. I don't think you have to necessarily accept that it was your own error. I okay. mean, this uh, we don't know if that, this could have all happened and we just That's haven't true. seen it. It's just the very, he- like, the narrative is so heavy on this kind of mentality and Jose is a winner and therefore we're going to show him being a winner in the dressing room at all times and actually. We lose this game. There's no winning mentality here. But I
0: think the game, the the William goal comes about because Aurier does a ridiculous decision to to head the ball out for a corner, and then they do a shot. And then he's still distracted with the people complaining. They pull a short corner, and William whacks it in. And then the second goal is Gazzaniga's mistake. So I I think as much as I agree with you that this whole winner thing is nonsense, I do think he has a point here in terms of mentality and allowing the pressure to to get to them. They make stupid, they make two stupid errors, which gives Chelsea the advantage. And then, of course, we're unable to impose our game on Chelsea because they've been smarter than us. But I still think a lot of it does come down to stupidity in our own brains. Is, Is that not concentration
1: rather than mentality, though? uh
0: i guess so but okay I, this is i think it's part and
1: parcel no perhaps nathan
2: i just i just feel like i get the impression that this is the way that every manager is that you there almost no one would ever go in and say okay the, the issue is 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 entirely tactical you know that, that, that he wouldn't or that any manager wouldn't you know bash the players i just just get the impression that the life of a football player is to forever be blamed for everything that could possibly go wrong and that people love to say you know oh footballers they have it so easy they pay paid huge amounts of money they kick a ball but it must be like mentally challenging to just get so much shit all the time and then when things yeah. are going well it's the manager you know that kind of thing
1: you're so right and it is such a sort of um toxic atmosphere so much of the time the the, the emotional pressure no wonder careers are are increasingly short it's the emotional pressure Mm. is so intense and and this is this is definitely something we've seen in this episode um the the pure intensity pre and post match um yeah it's it's difficult I, i i don't know i don't want to go too hard on Mourinho here because again like we don't See the stuff we're not shown, so it's very difficult to make a clear judgment either way on on how we handled this um, at halftime. And and Barty is right that there are some individual mistakes rather than it all necessarily being tactical. Um, what certainly doesn't help is that the second half starts and we see not I can't even remember the timing of it, but Son kicking it was out 58 at 58 minutes or so. I, I I thought it was quite early on in the half. I I, I remember us certainly not having. 11 men on the pitch for much of that half um so it's what follows which is fascinating son walking into the tunnel saying how is that a red tell me please how is that a red it shouldn't be a red it should be yellow then he's in the dressing room he's nearly in tears he's sat down he's absolutely devastated and what we get is this decision for the director to focus on son sat there for such a long time that i actually timed it because it was so long so i went back it was 45 seconds of son being sat in his chair looking sad um uh, which it, it gives you a lot of feelings um nathan how did you feel watching son wanting to cry
2: yeah it was um it was it was it was pretty tough you know i really i really cuz I, I remember at the time this was as body alluded to earlier not his first incident of this nature despite as we've already said, being a really, really sweet, charming, humble guy, he has this side of him where like if if he's being physically bullied, he will respond if he's really, really pushed. And um I remember being at the time being really annoyed with him because it's like, okay, you, you've you got like, you've had two passes on this or whatever, three passes on mm-hmm. this. Now it's time you take responsibility and you, and you look at what you're doing. Uh, because you, uh, not that I think that we were going to come back into that game, but you, he uh, at least potentially cost us, you know, a, a comeback there. Um, but then to see him for that 45 second shot, it was, it was really tough. I really, really felt for him um you can tell how much how much he feels it and and how 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 hard it is for him to process being the bad guy in any kind of situation because that's just not a role he's comfortable in at all
1: but process it he does and his reflections couldn't have been better he handles it so well that the next sort of um sound bites from son are him saying it was definitely definitely my mistake i felt so bad he says I'm 27 I shouldn't have done this kind of thing and you just think yeah you know that is how you handle it you you own your mistake and you learn from it and you grow what did you think Bardi?
0: yeah and, and you forget that he's 27 when I was 27 I remember throwing up on a brand new pair of trainers and it's just like <laughs> there's 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 the kind of levels to it and he, he's 27 years old this this Person that we all look to, and he's like an inspirational figure at tottenham and he 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 made a mistake, and that whole forty five seconds looking at him it it was a great bit of great bit of drama because you you see the 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 repercussions of it, of his action and that we could people could shout and complain as much as he, as much as they want at him, but it's the the personal reflection that is the the real the hard thing that we have to watch and you know, it, it's sad, but it, he he hasn't done it since, which is good. So maybe he has learned from it this time.
1: So the players then all filter back into the changing room and it's incredibly quiet. No one's really saying anything. And Mourinho comes in from what seems like a side door and he's, he's sort of trying to lift them. Um, he doesn't convince me that he's really trying to lift them, if that makes sense. It feels like a little bit of a token gesture. But equally, what's he going to do in that situation? I mean, he's in an absolutely impossible situation there. I think uh, it's a really difficult defeat to take. They've just lost against their their big rivals in the league, and one of their favourite teammates has made an error, which has really upset everyone. And it's it's just it, he's got an impossible task essentially. So what he does is he tries to ca- cajole them and tell them how many points they've made up in in this space of time um what did you think of that nathan in terms of his motivational technique
2: yeah i mean his point about like you know we've got another game coming up G- go go get out get in the shower go home that sort of thing like okay fair enough but then the sort of going around to each player individually to say come on to them is and, and and put a hand and then he's like really tentative with the physical contact element yeah. and it was just like a bit naff but you know
1: yeah yeah and it ends with him saying come on kid to delhi they're the final words and then there's a, a final shot on son looking solemn once again and that is the end of episode three of all of nothing all or nothing um what did we learn buddy what did you learn from the episode
0: um i know you're a bit down on the episode but i thought it was i thought it was good to get a little bit of insight into how um contract contract negotiations work and what happens when you have a group of players who have been so key to your club and how you've played leaving and how you kind of start progressing without them, so I, I thought it was—I thought that was a nice little bit of insight, and um, the kind of clearing up the whole Ericsson down in tools thing, and that he doesn't want to play for us, he doesn't want to be there, and he's upset in the dressing room. And clearly, from what we've seen, he, he wasn't. Um, was was a good bit of insight. So I think it was—I think it was a useful. A useful episode in that in that sense and as well the sun reflection as well so i, I think it was a much better episode than, than than you think and always episode three is always the the tricky one in any kind of tv season
1: yeah i mean when i watched this episode i thought it was the weakest of the three but now we've spoken about it you're right there's there's a lot there um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff there and you're you're also right about the contract situations and what we see is three very different situations you've got hmm. One player who signs, ultimately, one player who wants to leave the club and one player who the club wants to leave. So you've got three different scenarios panning out. I I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from the agent perspective and, and how the negotiations happen. So that was something yeah. that was missing, um, probably for obvious reasons. It's kind of sensitive, personal information being discussed. So I don't know if there would have been issues around that. Um so that was a bit of a pity, but you know, there was there was some good stuff there. Um and I, I enjoyed all of the characters who were featured in this, from the and Eldavero to Ericsson to Son, I, I I thought each of them had something interesting to bring to the story. How about you, Nathan?
2: Yeah, no, I think between the two of you you've definitely arrived at, at the at the truth there in that this wasn't the entertaining episode. This wasn't the good narrative episode clarity of, of message episode but this is what is actually probably more interesting to us which is like the gory details the mm. insight and, and a bit of screen time for some um for some process and for some some of the more quieter characters so yeah i like this one for that reason
1: I'm, i must say I, I felt it was really lacking some um some jason burt in this episode <laughs> I, could have, I, needed, I needed more jason burt to really hammer it home but um other than that solid enough um did either of you feel differently about Tottenham Hotspur after watching this episode?
0: Um no. I would like to have um I really wish that we could go back and have them discuss at halftime or at full time dealing with Adama Traore. How how to manage how to deal with the Adama problem? That would have been great to find out.
1: What you really needed was Daniel Levy at the breakfast table with Jose Mourinho saying, Jose, how are you going to deal with Adama Traore?" God, God that
2: Adama. He's he's really far. I imagine it must be really difficult to prepare for a player like. I wonder how. I wonder how, would you, have you
1: ever prepared? <laughs> is, is there a player in the squad maybe who matches up to him physically? I can't think of any, but maybe you've got some ideas that, that might find a solution to this problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what we lacked. That is definitely mm. what we lacked. I mean, no, you're right, Bardi, to point, this is actually, when you stand back and look at this episode as a whole, it's actually really intriguing. There's, there's a lot there that actually gives us insight into what happens at the mm. club. Um, it would have been lovely to have had that insight at the time, right? It's it's the shame that we're getting it in retrospect, but such is such is football. Buddy, were you going to say something else then?
0: Oh no, no, no! I was just, no, it's okay. I, I thought I was, but then you cut it really well, and I thought that was a good ending.
1: Okay, well, I'll just add on one extra thing if that's okay. So that is the end of the first package of uh, all or nothing episodes. So the next slot drop on the 7th of September and we'll be back soon after that to deliver our breakdown of those three episodes You've been listening to The Extra Inch Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production Thanks to Bardi for being Italian Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud, E. Lindmer do check them out, is great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.
2: Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines.